I am so excited and humbled as we come to God's Word today, and I'm so glad that we gather as God's people uh, to worship today. And uh, we want to express our gratitude for those of you who are joining us online and those who are worshiping down in the chapel. We're glad you're with us today. My name is Rod, and I've been married to Carol for 37 years. And uh, I've served as worship pastor here. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's actually a miracle, okay? <laughs> she stayed married to me. Um, no, um, we, I've also been here as worship pastor for a little over three and a half years. And uh, we just, we absolutely love it. We absolutely love it. Now, some of you may wonder, what do you do? Because I'm rarely up here, I don't lead singing. You see me walking around the halls on Sunday. I mean, what do you pay me for? Um, Thank you for paying me, by the way. But uh, actually, the two things that I love the most that I get to do here at Faith Church is to pastor and to coach our wonderful uh, worship teams, our musicians and our techs. I tell you, I can't tell you how much I love these people. I actually, I adore these people. They are awesome, wonderful people. Um, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't always that way. I mean, I served previous churches where I was on the stage, I did, I did lead some singing and all of that, that kind of stuff. But I never could fit into those tiny skinny jeans and uh, no tattoos, at least not yet. Um, my birthday is coming up though, so we'll see what happens. So when I say, let's worship, What's the first thing that comes to your mind? I mean, let me go ahead and answer that for you. We would all think that we're going to stand up and sing, right? I think in some ways where we've not really meant to do this, but, um, but maybe it's just kind of happened and grown that way, that we've limited worship to just music. Now, there's nothing wrong with music. In fact, music is great, awesome. Awesome. We ought to use a lot of it. But there's so much more to worship than just music. The Bible's vision for worship is a life, is a life of worship. It's not just what we do on Sundays. It's so much bigger and deeper than 20 minutes of music or 65 minutes of coming together and and hearing uh, Pastor Joe and others preach and praying together and giving of our tithes and offerings and reading scripture. It is that. It is that. But it's so much more. Worship is loving God and others 24-7. I mean, really, that's pretty simple, but that's foundational. You know, when we gather on Sunday, it's really the culmination of what's been going on in our lives throughout the entire week as we've been worshiping God throughout the week. And I hope that we can see this vividly displayed in the scripture that we look at today in John 4. We've been using the text from 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where Paul says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you are a part of it. Now, Paul uses metaphors like hands and mouth and eyes and ears to remind us that we are all part of the body. And each one is very important 
but we're all together. We're joined together as one body. Now, there are a couple of things that, that I've learned about worship in my journey. And one of them is this, that before we offer our hands to God in service, before we offer our minds to him to learn, to teach, before we offer our mouths to speak, to sing, to preach, God wants our hearts for worship. The Bible says, where God, God says to Israel, it says, these people come near to me with their mouths, and their lips honor me, but their hearts are far from me. Have you ever, have you ever done something where your heart's not really in it? I mean, have you ever just gone through the motions of something? We all have, right? But it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to stay that way. The second thing is this, is that true worship is based entirely on a relationship with God through Jesus. Now, why through Jesus? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, in order for us to have a relationship with God, we have to be related to Jesus. It's kind of like the relationship of a husband and a wife to each other in a, in a covenant marriage, or like a child to a parent. Let me show you how I learned this from John 4 today. We're going to look at an amazing story between uh, Jesus and a woman of Samaria. And we're also going to see in God's Word what the Bible has to say about true worship and true worshipers. Now, before we turn there, I just want to give you just a little bit of context, okay? So, Jesus... <clears throat> My voice is going to crack, so don't let it bother you, okay? It doesn't bother me. Um, so Jesus is walking through the desert with his disciples, and it's noon, it's the hottest part of the day. Now, they're going through a country called Samaria, which Jews typically, they avoid. And the reason is because, well, it goes beyond dislike. The Jews and the Samaritans actually despise each other. So Jesus sent his disciples off to, to town to go get some food, and Jesus is he's sitting at a well. And off in the distance, he sees a, a woman coming. She's carrying a jar. And when she arrives, Jesus says, Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, we need to understand a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman, that is absolutely bad PC, okay? And she's shocked. And she basically says, you, you want me to do what? Jesus is getting ready to step in to her mess. So let's pick it up at verse 10 from John 4. So turn on your Bibles or turn to your Bibles. John 4, beginning at verse 10. I'll read this, kind of a long passage, so try to stay with me. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? It's kind of like a dig, like, who do you think you are? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty anymore and have to come here to this well to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Awkward. Jesus said to her, you're right. You have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you said is quite true. The woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We Jews worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I, I know that Messiah called to Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus says, hey, lady, you're looking at him. You know, this is a really odd conversation. It's kind of disorienting in one way. I mean, it goes from like A to P to F to Z. It's just, it's kind of all over the place. So what's going on here? I think what we have here is a woman who's been broken and an outcast most of her adult life. I mean, five husbands. But Jesus is trying to help her know how she can experience love and forgiveness and acceptance and a real relationship with God and with others. Jesus makes a very clear statement about worship and about worshipers. In verse 24, he says this, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God's spirit makes us alive as true worshipers. Now imagine with me 
just for a moment, that this woman wakes up every day, she fixes breakfasts, she does the dishes, she does the laundry, she grabs her jug, and she heads down to the well at about noon when no one else would be there because she's an outcast and everybody knows in town who she is. So she's got a life and she's a way to make a living, but the real question is this, is she alive? This woman has deep unmet desires. Five husbands? Whoa. I mean, she can't see it yet. She can't even imagine it yet. But Jesus wants to inflame her desires. He doesn't doesn't want to kill them. Jesus wants to make her alive and satisfy her deepest longings. How? By having a forever rooted relationship with Jesus. Only God, only God can fill a God-sized void. I want to ask you, what about you? Just going through the motions, just living life, making a living? Or are you really, really alive to God? There's something that should amaze and also encourage us, and that is this, that Jesus wants to satisfy our desires beyond our wildest dreams. You see, the Bible tells us that though we are physically alive, we are spiritually dead because of what sin has done to us. But God makes us alive. God stirs our love for him. In verse 23, Jesus says God is seeking true worshipers. Jesus wants this ongoing, intimate relationship with us. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the end. We have some upside-down thinking about worship. And, I mean, God has... God has impressed on me to kind of share this with you, is that when we, when we think of worship, I think most of us think about it's what we give. But it's not. It's about what we receive first and primarily because we cannot give unless we have first received that God wants to pour into us himself so that as we receive it, we pour out to God our worship and to others our love. You see, God has made us first and foremost receivers. I think much of our worship that is lifeless, dead, boring, is because we are full of ourselves and our stuff. Rather than being full of the Holy Spirit, we take in and we hold these things that are lesser than God, and it doesn't mean squat. It doesn't mean anything. 
a really smart guy, his name was C.S. Lewis, and he put it like this. He said that God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're like a child who's content to make mud pies in the street when a holiday at the sea is offered or an all-expense-paid trip to Disney World is offered. We're far too easily pleased. God wants to pour his spirit into us continually. Question is, are we receiving it? This is what Jesus meant when he said, those who worship the Father must worship him in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us the moment, the moment that we cross the line of faith and we follow Jesus. But are we walking in step with the Spirit every day? Do we want more and more of what Jesus has to, has to offer us? Here's the other radical part of Jesus' statement. He says this, that God's truth transforms us from false worshipers to true worshipers. Her problem is that she can't see her problem. Notice again in verse 16, where Jesus says, and he told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, the, the man you're living with now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Sir, the woman says, I, I, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped here on this mountain here, and you Jews say that you need to worship there on the mountain in Jerusalem. Time out. Hang on. What is going on here? Jesus is talking about husbands, and this woman is talking about where she goes to church. This is a sure sign of dodging. She may be religious, but her religion cannot heal her. And five husbands, there's no way that that's going to fill her empty heart. Jesus reveals who he is to her in verse 10 when he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you living water. So now Jesus is going to hone in on the truth about her, and what is the truth? Well, the truth is she's broken, and only Jesus can heal her. You know, even in her dodging, she doesn't shut Jesus down. She doesn't let him, she doesn't really let him in either, but she doesn't shut him down. Do you realize that this is a story about Jesus and her? But folks, this is a story about us. This is a story about Jesus and us. When Jesus is honing in on what we would rather keep hidden and not be exposed, and we just don't want to deal with it, it's painful. And we do this. We hold him like this. We don't shut him down, but we don't invite him in. 
either. There's something else I want us to notice, and that is that she doesn't get defensive. I think this is really, really important. That Jesus works with us when we dodge, but not when we're defensive. Jesus, he gets her. Jesus understands her, and he loves her, and he draws her, and he pursues her, and he does the same for us. Here is, here is what I think is her problem and our problem. And I think Jeremiah nails it in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, when he writes this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug for themselves their own water tanks, broken tanks that cannot hold water. Can I translate? Just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Just, just listen to me. Just hop on the bus, Gus. No need to discuss much. Just drop off the key, Lee, and get yourself free. Paul Simon, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, in case you don't know. <laughs> what have we done? We have ditched the only one that really gets us. And we've shunned his love. Why do we do this? Why do we do it? I think it's a question we really need to ask ourselves. Now, what I'm about to say is, is for those who have been followers of Jesus for a long time and those who are just beginning to discover who Jesus is. What can we do? What can be done? confess, admit, and own your sin, my sin, and our brokenness. Admit it and own it. And the second thing is repent. That means turn around and start walking toward Jesus. There are many reasons that, that we don't do this on a regular basis, but I just want to highlight one, and it's this. We fear exposure and rejection. We falsely believe that if anybody knew what's really inside here, who I really am, they would vomit and run away. It's hard enough for us to admit our, our brokenness to ourselves. How much more to someone else like Jesus and to give voice to it because when we give voice to it, it makes it real. Here's the truth. We are far worse than we ever imagined. But we are, we are loved far more than we could ever wrap our minds around. That's the love of God. The Bible says that there is nothing in all creation that is hidden from God's sight. 
everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Then, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know about you, but my first inclination would not be to run to the throne of grace, to the God who knows everything about me. It would be to run the other way. But we have to know this about Jesus. And that is this, that Jesus is full of truth and grace. It's both. And it's not as if truth is somehow bad and we should shun and grace is something great and we should embrace. It's both. It's both and. We need to see that, that it's actually a grace of God that he shows us the truth about ourselves and about him. He is not going to run away and he is not going to tell you that you're too messed up. I don't want to have anything to do with you. We will receive mercy and grace. Why would Jesus expose the truth about the five husbands to this woman? It's not to condemn her. It's to forgive her. Jesus digs up our shame, not, or digs up our mess, not to shame us, but to rid us of our shame. And Jesus brings all this up so that we might be able to experience the grace and forgiveness and the love of Jesus. It's painful for a moment, yeah, but it's freedom for a lifetime. And when we embrace the grace of Jesus, we can't help, we can't help but overflow in worship. I saw it here today. Grace is the means of worship. And love is the overflow of worship. The Bible says that this woman dropped her jar and ran to the town telling everybody, I met this man who told me everything I ever did. Pretty amazing. Before she met Jesus, we saw this broken, empty woman skulking to a well with a jar in tow. And now we see a changed woman who's running to Jesus with a whole town in tow. And they said this, now we have heard from him ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Don't miss this. Jesus did not explain everything. He became her everything. They church Repentance must work its way back into our lives. I think we are grace anemic people because we're not confessing and not repenting 
and we're not receiving the assurance of being forgiven and accepted and loved by our Savior. You see, it's not a once-and-done thing. It's a daily recurring experience with Jesus that marks us as true worshipers who belong to the body of Christ. There are many years that I, I knew this, theoretically, but it took some really tragic events for me to learn this experientially. In my 30s and 40s, I hid a lot of stuff. And I believed a lot of lies, and I told a lot of lies. Until one crucial point when Jesus met me, and he said to me, Rod, you will not know me without the truth. And I, I knew in that instant what he meant. And I knew if I kept walking down that road of hiding, that I would never really know Jesus. And I would be broken for whenever. And in a moment, Jesus brought up all this stuff that I pushed down and tried to hide. And I gave voice to it. And I was broken. I was so broken. And I gave it a voice and I confessed it. And I repented of it. And then there was grace. Amazing grace, forgiveness, acceptance, love, and freedom. Freedom. No more hiding. And now, peace. Peace. I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to cover it up anymore. Guess what? Jesus knows everything I ever did. Hallelujah. Praise God. And he loves me. He loves me. I know he loves me in a way that I never knew love before because he loved me through forgiveness and repentance. Jesus did that for this woman. He's done that, and he does that for me. He's done it for millions of others like me, and he can do it for you. Approach his throne of grace, and what you will find, boom, it will blow your mind. Let's pray. As a deer pants for the streams of water, O oh God, in a dry and a thirsty land, 
In a desert where there is no water, our souls, they long for you, O God, the living water. You're not turned off by our brokenness, Lord Jesus. You enter our mess. You took on our mess. You were punished for our mess. You heal us. You forgive us. You transform us. You accept us. You receive us. You love us. We confess our sin to you, O God, and we embrace your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Oh God, we so, so desire to live a life of worship before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of Jesus' best friends, the Apostle John, wrote this. He wrote, if we say we, we have no sin, we're liars and we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want us to take just a few moments right now and go before the Lord. I just want to encourage you to ask Jesus, Jesus, is there something that I need to see that I need to confess, that I need to repent of so I can experience this amazing grace and forgiveness. Bobby's going to play on the guitar. Let's take a few minutes. When he starts singing, our ushers are going to dispense the elements for communion. And if you're led to stand and sing, you do that. If you want to stay seated, you do that. Whatever God leads you to do, you do. Let me pray. Father, speak to us. Speak to us, O oh God. We want to hear from you. In Christ's name, amen.